Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessing and for your love, for this, your day that you have given us to worship you. Uh, thank you for this great gift. You are a gracious God who gathers your people to yourself, and not because uh, you need us, but because you want to bless us, and because you rejoice in bestowing uh, mercy to those who belong to you. So we thank you for that, Lord, and thank you for what... Uh, uh, we have learned so far. Help us to um, be attend uh, to what you have to speak to us uh, in the Sunday school class and also through the preaching of the word uh, so we may be encouraged uh, by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, um, we are back to normal Sunday school classes. And I hope you didn't... Um, forget what we saw, I don't know what this is, uh, two weeks ago about um, the church. So we kind of introduced the subject last week, right? No, two weeks ago, excuse me. Um, and we mainly saw two uh, important character characteristics of the church. One of them was that the church is God's assembly, right? God calling his people to himself uh, from the beginning of the world to the end of it. And the other one is that God, um, that the church is God's people, uh, people that he has cre uh, called to be belong to him in Jesus Christ. Uh, he adopts them. He receives uh, his children in Jesus Christ. Uh, all right, so those, those are the two things that we saw. There is one more that we didn't see, um, and it's the church is where God dwells. And that's a very uh, prevalent theme in the uh, Old and New Testament. God dwells among his people. That, and in the New Testament, we actually uh, discover that God dwells in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Remember uh, what Jesus says to, uh, to the disciples in the book of John. It is good that I'm leaving you. And they all go like, what? How come? Well, it is good because I'm going to send the comforter. And he is going to lead you to every truth and everything. So it's good that Jesus is leaving us because we have his presence now through the uh, power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. So think about that. Uh, the church is the place where God uh, dwells because God himself is living in our hearts. How is that even possible, that the infinite God is in our hearts? The triune, infinite, eternal, unchangeable God living in our hearts. Uh, Solomon, Solomon, speaking about the temple, says, But is it true, God, uh, that you will live in a building made by, my, by hands? But the heavens of the heavens cannot contain you. And will this thing contain you? Well, the heavens of the heavens cannot contain him, and yet he has made us his dwelling. That's, that's pretty amazing. So we are going to uh, see this morning uh, what comes next. So you have your handouts there with you, uh, and uh, we see the people of God part two. Although I don't know if I should have put that title there. Uh, but anyhow, um, so after having, having introduced the concept of the church and the challenges laying ahead, let me just say some of them. Uh, so what is the government of the church? Uh, 
Should we respect the church? Should we set, set aside the church? Uh, how does that work? Uh, is there even a need for the church? And what kind of need is it? Um, um, and, and how do we define her officers? Uh, is there such a thing as officers? I don't know if you're familiar with this, uh, but the Anabaptists, one of the big problems with the Anabaptists in the 16th, uh, 16th century is that they believe everyone is uh, an officer. So we don't need training, we don't need uh, uh, pastors, we don't need elders, we don't need anything because everyone and anyone can come and speak. And that's what they did. And I think the Mennonites still do today. Like you sit down and then, does anyone have a word of illumination? You know, maybe you do. So you stand up and start speaking. Um, well, that's really dangerous, right? Um, the Bible doesn't affirm that. Um, so, so how do we define that? And then membership, what about membership? Isn't that something that we have made up in the uh, 20th century? Uh, or is it actually in the Bible? Well, those are some of the challenges that we uh, saw last time. Uh, but anyhow, we will continue seeing that according to how scriptures present that theme of the church to us. So what we are going to see this morning is that we are going to try to follow Calvin in his institutes and other theologians in order to understand the attributes of the church. And then uh, we, will, uh, we will see every single one of them. So not today, though. We will just see one today. Uh, so for you to know, the church is one, holy, Catholic, apostolic. Those are the, the four uh, attributes of the church. There is one more indestructible. That's a recent one, uh, but I like it, so we are going to take it. Um, <laughs> the church is indestructible. Um, so um, those are the, the five things that we are going to see. Well, maybe the indestructibility of the church is not, not going to take us too long. Um, so in order to do that, we will presuppose that is, I'm going to assume that you remember what we talked about two weeks ago, which I just did a summary about because uh, I didn't even myself remember what we talked about last week. Uh, I had to check my notes. So, um, you know, the church exists be uh, uh, because it has been God's initiative. That is, in the church, we are always recipients. We're always receiving from God. He's calling us, He's saving us, He's restoring us, He's working in us, sending of His Spirit to us, ministering through the Word, ministering through the sacraments. Um, all of that is God's action. Uh, he, we are always receiving. Even if we are responding to Him, right, in singing and in prayer and everything, He's still working in our hearts so we can do that. Remember the words of First John. No one can call Jesus Lord except the Spirit of God is in him, right? So even that is an action of God. So we are recipients. Um, the church is conformed by God's people from the beginning of the world until its end. Um, now, what about Pentecost? Well, we will talk about that later. Um, and that these people form his assembly. He's call, called out ones who in Jesus Christ have been adopted into his family. All right. I didn't drink coffee, so I'm going to do it while I ask. Do you have any questions so far? Is everything okay? 
I'm gonna. I don't want to put it here. It doesn't feel as good. All right. No questions. You sure? All right. Then uh, this is. Excuse me. Where we start? The church as one of the means of salvation. Um, if you are going through uh, Calvin's Institutes, uh, book number two, uh, chapter one, second part of the book, number two. So book number two, second part, chapter one, on the church. Uh, you will uh, see that Calvin's concern is for the church as one of the means of grace. Uh, now, if you're a good Presbyterian, you will know that the Westminster Church Catechism says that there are uh, three means of grace. The preaching of the word, prayer, the administration of the sacraments, excuse me, and prayer. So why is Calvin saying that the church is one of the means of grace? Because it's in the church that those three things take place. Yeah. If we have no church, we have none of those three things right? So church is very, very important. So Calvin assumes that the church is one of the means of grace that God has given to his people. And it, this is kind of shocking, especially as you read Calvin, as we will read Calvin, uh, some, some of his quotes this morning. Um, it, it, it's kind of shocking how he talks about the church, especially if you think about what has happened during the Reformation. And that is uh, basically they split from Rome right? Uh, uh, how can Calvin has this high view of the church when the church has been split? Well, well Calvin is recognizing that uh, the church has been split and that they are the ones who are following the ancient tradition. So for Calvin, it's not that he has abandoned the true church. He has abandoned a church that has become corrupt. And that's a huge difference because you can still have a high regard for the church and, uh, and still follow scriptures. Now that can, be a, that can go a little, a little farther and we can be you know, a little bit extreme on that nowadays. Um, they don't have coffee in the church. Well, I'm gonna go to that other church. They have a coffee shop in the church and they have families and everything, so I like that better. Um, because that's not the church that I like. Well, that's not a good reason, right? Um, I was, I was, forgive me for what I'm going to, going to say. Don't get offended. But I was telling my wife as we were traveling to Illinois that I really don't understand when families leave churches because there are no young families in the church. I understand the social aspect, but I don't understand that social aspect being so important that you need to leave the church to find other church uh, with younger families. You know why? Because when you are the only young family in that church, you actually encourage those saints that are in that church. And then do you know who is going to get super pampered because they are the only kids in the church? <laughs> Your kids. And you are going to gain a lot because those older saints have experience. And they edify you. And they help you. And they encourage you when you are discouraged with your kids. And besides, they are afraid of you leaving, so they are not going to make you mad anyhow. <laughs> um, 
My point is, there are a few things you can leave a church for. And it's always doctrinal truth, scriptural truth issues. Other things we can disagree about, um, not having enough young families is not one of them. So sorry. Uh, you, you can say, pastor, it's easy for you. Uh, I was not always a pastor, remember? And one of the most challenging things for us was to leave a church where uh, scriptures were explicitly denied from the pulpit. This is not God's word, it was said, from the pulpit. And we had to leave that church because of that. We had friends, other kids or, that Michaela was, was playing with. Uh, we had like coffee time and uh, games nights and things like that. And we left all of that to go to a church that barely had families together. We were the only ones with one child. Like the nursery was gigantic. N not that it was, but you know, oh, we have one. That's a miracle. But it was a blessing. We stayed there because we loved truth. And um, you know, you have young children, talk to them about that. And they have grandchildren, uh, uh, right? Talk to them about that. Stay where you are at. Don't change your churches as you change pants. It's not how it works. Um, and uh, it's kind of shocking to, to hear Calvin speaking about this uh, because we are highly individualized, right? Um, think about these phrases. Me and my Bible, right? I don't need the church. Um, uh, or me and God. I don't need others praying for me. Um, or what about relationship, not religion? That's a big one in the evangelical world. Um, well, okay, good luck. Because religion is multiform. You, when you pray, that's religion. When you talk to, when you talk to others about Christ, that's, that's, you're talking about your religion. When you are kneeling down, standing, or gathering, that's a form of religion. What we do is religion. Um, and these have become the phrases, like the modern creeds. Uh, no, I don't like the Apostles' Creed. I have my own creed. Ah, wow. Like, you need to be really smart if you want to like, undo 2,000 years of tradition, theological reflection, in order to, do, to make your own. And in the end, they, may, they end up making something that sounds like the other one. Uh, so it's not even honest. Um, in fact, uh, Robert Letham in his Systematic Theology affirms, a major problem in the West is the separation of individual salvation from the church. And he's talking about not 20th, 20th century church. He says, this is a problem that we have had in the West forever. Um, and that's, by the way, a distinction between West, Rome included. When I say West, we, we are there, Rome is there, um, and East. The Orthodox tend to be more mystical and tend to be more um, communal in their way they see salvation. We tend to be more individualistic in how we see salvation. That's just the way it is. Uh, one of those differences that are due because of philosoph philosophical traditions, geographical um, um, places that we grew up in, and things like that. Um, so uh, why would, yes? Just to clarify, when you say we, you're talking about the Western Church, not the Presbyterian Church in America. Yeah. We in general. Yeah. yeah. The Church in the West. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so, um, why would he say, though, that there is a separation of individual salvation from, from the church? Uh, what do you guys think? Um, that's kind of weird, but why do you think that's, is, that is the case? have just to for the people who are listening to the audio in the future um, the migration problem that we had in America from East and West there is a difference uh, between how families and relationships work uh, right and uh, the abandonment of covenant theology and the communal aspect of the church then it seems like there's two extremes so there's the individual extreme and then the, the community extreme yep church does everything for us we don't really have to have that relationship yep. it is an individual relationship but the church helps that but yep. it's still up to Christ and, and us yep. Dan is right on the money right there because as I said um, this distinction comes uh, way back before the United States even existed and it's a philosophical tradition that we have inherited from Augustine and from other of, of our theologians in the West. So Gregory the Great, Augustine, uh, um, Athanasius, and other, other guys do have a sense of you are saved personally, which is true. Uh, but on the process as church uh, divided from the East, and we've never spoke with them again, historically speaking, since 1055. Okay, uh, since then, then uh, the church started to move more and more into individualistic um, uh, understandings. Not that it came like out of the blue, and as Frank and Ron clearly said, uh, what we see in America is actually the maturity of that thought, where, you know, we have the space to go up, be by ourselves, 
and and that's what fosters basically uh, the maturity of this kind of philosophy, which is not wrong as Dan just said, because the Bible speaks about God electing every single one of His people. He chooses people individually. He saves people individually. But there is also a communal aspect in the church, and that's what we lost when we separated from the East. Now East sees everything in community. So you are never a single person. You are a whole thing that never has anything in yourself. So when you uh, find salvation, you are not only saved, but you are also so united to God that in the future, when uh, eternity comes, you stop being an individual. You become one with God in an extreme way. You are absorbed by God, so to speak. And so that's the other extreme. Say that again. Buddhism. Kind of like that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, both extremes. And, and we need to remember, the church is a community, and, uh, but we are individuals and we are saved individually as well through the ministry of the church. And what a privilege it is that as we gather together as God's people, how we have our kids listening to God's word, right? They seem that they are not paying attention. I mean, have you seen, have you seen your, your little ones, her little ones, my little ones? Like they are dancing, right? It seems like nothing is happening. Uh, but God is doing something because he has promised he will do so. It will be easier, practically speaking, to send them to uh, kids' church, right? Uh, but then we will be depriving them from the blessing of God for them. Yes, Ron? Yeah, so what Ron is saying is that one of the mistakes that Reformed churches have had of recent is this idea that if you are in the membership of the church, you are saved, which is basically what they are saying in the federal vision, right? Yeah, so be careful with that too. Uh, anyhow, um, so for Calvin and the Reformed, however, there is no hope of future inheritance. Uh, no, no hope of future inheritance remains to us unless we have been united with all other members under Christ, our head. Think about how strong that language is. There is no hope of future salvation. The, the eternity of heaven uh, here on earth, uh, living with God, there is no hope of that unless we have been united with other members of, in, in Christ, our head. Uh, where, is it, where is he getting that from? First Corinthians, right? Jesus Christ is our head, and we are united to him. And, uh, you know, we have this discussion about uh, eye and toe, and every single one of us is important, and, and the toe cannot say to the eye, I'm more important, or whatever. Uh, we're united to Christ, and as we are united to Christ, we are to be united to one another, because we all form the Church of Christ. We, are, we belong to Him. So it's actually pretty bad if we go, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I hate uh, churches. And I hate groups like that. I don't like them. It's horrible. Well, you, you are showing that you don't understand the church. 
uh, you are showing that, and that is very prideful as well. So you alone um, are united to Christ, and so in that scheme, what are you? A toe, a hand, a nail, uh, uh, um, um, an eye, an ear? Um, I have never seen an ear like floating around by itself, right? Oh yeah, I'm here listening to everything, right? doesn't work like that. Uh, and then listen to this other one. Each of us should keep in brotherly agreement with all God's children. We should yield to the church the authority it deserves. In short, should act as one of the flock. Now we're going to see how Calvin speaks about the officers of the church as well, but that's coming up next. Um, just a, a, a little um, promotion right there. Calvin, in other words, assumes that people who are saved by Jesus will live in community with other Christians, will long to join them as they are called to worship him and are devoted to one another. In other words, uh, when Sunday comes, um, part of a healthy spiritual growth should be, uh, yeah, I'm sleepy, because that happens too, right? For some reason, someone told me last, last Sunday, for some reason, Sleeping is sweeter on Sundays. Um, and yeah, that's right. But at the same time, you woke up, right? And you prepare yourself. You get your best, uh, best uh, clothing or whatever it is for church because you come to worship the king, right? And you want to be here. The king is summoning me. I'm going into his presence. What a privilege. And I'm going to be with people that I love. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to love them. But I'm called to love them anyway, right? Um, it's, it's my people. It's my family. Uh, think about, sorry, Fred, I, I'll, I'll, uh, think about how different this understanding is from the current cultural climate. Oh, you are not brown? You hate me. You are not black? You're against me. And you have no right to speak. Really? Well, see how the church changes that. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what nationality you are. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are my brother and my sister. It basically destroys that wall of division that we are laying up in this country. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for you, no matter who you are. Faith? Yeah. 
tells me, oh no, I really feel the presence of the Lord in me. But I said to Kenneth, was it the presence of the Lord or was it the presence of the Christian that the Lord brought into her life? Complete strangers, right next door, you know, and that have helped her so much through this time. But to me, to not have that desire is unimaginable. Yeah, yeah. This is the day I live for. You know, it's just, yeah, and I know I just need to have patience. <laughs> yeah. She's a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. But, oh, sometimes I just want to shake her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, faith basically is giving us a story about a person who doesn't want to go to church, but she calls herself a Christian. But yeah, we, we need to be patient and loving as we try to encourage them to come to church, right? Um, I have something on that place because it was, it's kind of personal here, but uh, back in Texas, being involved in the church and so much, it was to see who your true friends were, then they started that started all that stuff in the church that made me not want to go. But it took God telling me that those were the people. It wasn't the church. And you have to. And I wondered if your friends is able to worship the Lord. Not, right. Not the friends. But that, that's yeah. what we're going to do. There's yeah. many people that have been burned. Yeah. And that's their excuse. Yeah, people. So it's like, well, God didn't burn you. They did. Right. Yeah. Humans are going to be humans, and they will hurt you. Yeah, people hurt people. Tell me that. Yeah. And still. Yeah. Yeah. The blind is. Yeah, and I did it for a little while, but this has been, you know. Well, it, it can happen, and we, we just need to be patient, right? Did you have anything, Beth? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, yeah, that's very true, Deborah. I think we've all been through that in one, or at least seen it in one way or another. But so much, like so many of the other spiritual disciplines, practice breeds affection. Mm-hmm. And it takes the spiritual discipline, it takes the physical discipline, it takes the, you know, get your butt out of bed and get in the car. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. To go to church. And the more you do it, it becomes a habit. Yep. Just like reading the Word and intentional prayer. Yep. And, I mean, it takes, that's one aspect of the individual part that I think is good and important is, I'm going to be there whether I want to or not Mm -hmm. because I know this is what God has called me to do. Yep. That's a very individualistic statement. Yet, it's also God has called me to do this because it's part of a community and part of a family. And think about how much we bicker with our siblings and, you know, get all bent out of shape because some aunt didn't give me the right colored something or other for Christmas or I mean, all those things that we can get catty about in our families yep. is very true within the church, too. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we're any less part of that family. Yeah. And it takes work, and it takes self-sacrifice, and it takes self-forgetfulness to say this... The ministry of the church and the role of the church, loving the bride of Christ, is more important than my personal intent. Mm-hmm. And learning how to prioritize those messages. There is, you yeah. know, I do think that there is a time and a place where, 
you know, the church lady cattiness, you need to step away from because it's not healthy and it's not, it's, the word of God is no longer preached in your life because the social aspects overshadow it. Yeah. Um, and that might be a place to reevaluate why find that church. The church probably would function the way it ought to. Mm-hmm. But, like you said, we don't leave the church because we're offended. Yeah. We leave the church because we're no longer hearing and experiencing the truth. Um, just like we're part of a family, we don't change our name just because you know, we're cranky about something and we got in a fight with our siblings. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's right. We we need to learn to belong to a place and to stick to it, which is something that we have lost. We have taken a consumerist approach to church, right? Well, I don't agree with that. I'm going to go to the other one uh, until I don't agree with them, and then I jump to the other one, right? Uh, no, stay where you are, but but they don't believe everything that I believe. Surprise, surprise, no one does. <laughs> Not even in the Presbyterian churches, we agree on everything, right? Um, um, uh, if you are listening to the podcast that I'm doing on the Westminster Assembly, we are going to talk about some of those discussions that they were having on the floor about uh, key aspects of our theology, like active obedience of Christ. There were people who were opposed to uh, that idea in the Westminster Assembly. And this is like, these are our forefathers, and they didn't agree on everything. That's not a, that's not a surprise. The, com- the, confession, the confession of faith is a compromised document. In other words, this is what we agreed on. Um, and, and that's the approach we need to take in church as well. We have a confession. It's visible. You can go and read it. And, and this is what we have agreed on. You have something different, uh, that's okay. It, it, hasn't to be, it doesn't have to be a huge problem. And then Beth mentioned something that is key, uh, that we don't like. Uh, uh, and that is, make it a habit. It sounds really unspiritual, doesn't it? But it's actually very spiritual. God uses habits. And, and a habit is not wrong. Sometimes you are not going to feel like you want to go to church. But you are going to drag yourself to church because it has become a habit. And even then, even if you feel like God is not doing anything, uh, don't be so, so certain about it. Because if God's word has been preached, the Holy Spirit has been present, working in your heart, sometimes you don't even can tell what is going on, but something is going on. Um, why? Because he has promised he will do it. So, but I don't feel anything. Yeah, it happens. Um, sometimes you eat a bad muffin and you feel a lot of things. <laughs> so, you know, doesn't mean that one is more effective than, than the other. Uh, Calvin affirms, there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother, the church, conceive us in her womb, give us birth, nourish us at her, I don't know, why great is there? I don't remember what the word is. I, I couldn't change it. Um, and lastly, unless she keep us under her care and guidance so until putting off mortal flesh, not moral, uh, mortal flesh, uh, we become like the angels. In other words, uh, church has to be there for you 
since you are a little Christian, a baby Christian, when you just first believe, and it will be there until you die. Because the church is that agency that goes, yeah, I'm going to nourish you, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to show Christ's care for you through the elders' hand, uh, the pastor and deacons, right? And then, and, and God's people in general, and then when you die, we go, mission accomplished, he's at home, or she's at home now with the Lord. And it's not like the person who died goes, yay, free of the church, no, because... <laughs> Now she goes to experience uh, church in glory. Uh, so we need the church. We belong to her in the spiritual realm, and we are to manifest that belonging in the physical realm as well. So you are united to Jesus Christ. You are united with the saints in glory, and you need to show and manifest that unity in the local church as well. There is no, you know, this is the church of Christian. The only member is me, and I'm the pastor, and I'm the elder, and I'm the deacon, and that's it. Or, you know, this is the church of the Garcia family. I'm the pastor, the spiritual leader of my, of my family, which in a sense is true, uh, and I'm going to preach to my children on Sunday, and then we are going to do church together every Sunday, but we don't mingle with anyone else. That doesn't work. <laughs> that's not what the Bible is calling us, unless you are in North Korea, and you are a secret Christian in the sense that, you know, you need to worship uh, in, in, um, in the hiding because they are going to kill you. Then that's different. But we are not in North Korea, right? We are in the United States of America. Um, let me see. I lost my place. Oh, this heavy and robust ecclesiology of Calvin is simply echoing the New Testament since therein those called Christ followers require that they are members of the visible church. There are no secret Christians in the New Testament. Uh, think about the book of Acts. Peter preaching, chapter 3, right? 5,000, what happened to them? They got saved and then they joined to the church. Uh, they stopped worshiping uh, as they used to, but now they identify as the people of God, as the church. And they have everything in common. Not that the, That's not communism, by the way. It's just that was the spirit of the church, to share everything as, as they were uh, given the opportunity. Anyhow, they belong to the church. Uh, but let us not get nervous with, the, uh, with what Calvin says. Calvin is saying that the church is the means through whom the salvation of individuals is worked out by the action of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word, administration of the sacraments, and discipline. Um, discipline to uh, brothers and sisters is one of those means that God uses to um, grow his church. Uh, now, don't think just punitive discipline, but discipline also means discipling, teaching, caring for you, right? Uh, and yeah, uh, uh, think about this. When your kid is misbehaved, uh, you didn't go, oh, poor thing. Like, he, he's just defending his property. No, you went like, this is not okay. You know what's going to happen. So come here, pull down your pants. I'm going to go for my belt, right? Um, because you love them. Hebrew says, uh, the one, uh, God disciplines his children because he loves them. And the church is, in a sense, there to do that as well. Discipline is caring for God's people as well. Um, 
The Reformation uh, gave the church a much more central place. It was the place where the word was proclaimed and the sacraments were administered. That's from uh, uh, Reformed Dogmatics by Cornelius van der Koy. Yeah, if we are going to have a biblical understanding of what the church is, then we need to say that the church is foundational for our salvation. Um, it's compromised by those elect that God has called to himself precisely through the ministry of the church. Now, before you say anything, uh, salvation can and has happened outside of the church in many other ways. That's true, but that's not the ordinary way it works. Ordinarily, God works through his church. That's why Calvin can say, nulla ecclesia, uh, excuse me, extra ecclesia nulla salus. Outside of the church, there is no salvation. Uh, because the church has been given the, ministry, the mysteries of God to salvation. All right? That, that's strong language. Uh, and yet it's true. Because if you don't have church, uh, you don't have proclamation of the word. Even for sending missionaries to North Korea, uh, we need the church. We need people like us who are willing to give up our money in order to send the Bibles to those who are over there and try to endeavor for that. How they do it, I don't know, uh, but that's how it works. If there is no church, uh, there is none of that, right? Um, and of course, the church is created by uh, the Word of God. So having affirmed all, affirmed all of that, uh, we are going to jump then to the attributes of the church. The church is one, holy, Catholic, apostolic, and then indestructible. Um, that's not my addition, but um, so R.B. Kuyper in the, Glori the, the Glorious Body of Christ says something like that, and uh, this indestructibility of the church is coined by my professor uh, Cornelis Venema in seminary. So everyone gave him grief, because he's making, making that up, and his colleagues make, uh, give him grief because of that, but you know, we will see why that is true. But before we go there, I would like to read um, Article 27. Uh, we read Article uh, from the Westminster Confession of Faith last time, uh, but this time we are going to read 27 from the Belgian Confession, so we can see how other uh, Christians have thought about the church. So we believe and confess uh, one single Catholic or universal church, notice the, the marks of the church, the attributes of the church, one universal holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers, uh, awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end, as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal king who cannot be without subjects. Uh, in other words, the church will exist until the end because Jesus is Christ. Uh, Jesus is king, excuse me. And because Jesus is king, there cannot be no subjects for, for Jesus. There has always have to be subjects because Jesus is king. Do you understand that? It's kind of, it's kind of an interesting way to put it. Yes, Frank. Can you explain uh, what is meant by Awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So it means that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation, not to anything else. Uh, not saints, nor anything. Uh, the Belgic Confession is crafted uh, in the early years of the Reformation. Um, 
So uh, the sense of this phrase here is no saints, no angels, no the Pope, no anything else, but awaiting our salvation from Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves us. There is nothing outside of him that we can find salvation in. Make sense? Yep. 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 Um, so because Jesus is king, the church will exist. Now think about that. Just as certain as Jesus is king and he exists forever, in the same way the church will exist. Who can kill Jesus, the Son of God? No one. Who can destroy the church in that sense? No one. Yeah. Because we are his subjects. And this holy church is uh, preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even through for a time it may appear very small in the eyes of men, as though it were snuffed out. Um, so Guido de Bray is writing this um, confession, and he is a missionary in uh, Belgium, and the church is really, really small. It's like 50 people or something like that at one point, and then it starts growing, and you know what happened to him? They kill him. Um, but, but that's why he's like, very, very small in the eyes of men, as though it were snuffed out. Um, for example, during the very dangerous times of Ahab, the Lord preserved for himself 7,000 men who did not bend their needs to Baal. And that's encouraging, isn't it? Uh, we sometimes may think, oh, we are the only ones. We are small. And everyone is like giving up to this uh, progressive or liberalism or whatever, whatever you want to say. And there is no one. And even in, in our own denomination, we tend to have that tendency to say, we are the only ones, because uh, the PCA is going crazy. Um, well, remember, the Lord has, always has people that he preserves, always. Uh, if we are here, there is also other people in other places. Um, and uh, and um, the church in France, for example, it was distinguished like entirely destroyed, entirely wiped out uh, in the 17th century. Um, but now we are sending more missionaries to France again. And the church is flourishing in France again. Um, what's the name? Uh, one, one of the missionaries that I'm, I know personally, is his name is Eric Kayayang. And he's seen like, the flourishing of the church in France once again. Uh, nothing can destroy the church. Dolphin or France, he thought he will. Well, he didn't. He's dead. The church is alive. Uh, and so this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain persons. Think John 4. Uh, where shall we worship God? It seems, it seems to me that you're a prophet, Lord. Um, so where shall we worship God? Uh, here or, or in Jerusalem, as Jew, Jews say? And Jesus says, woman, believe me, uh, time is coming, and it is now, where you will not worship here or there, but you will worship in the spirit and in truth. Because that's what God is looking for, worshipers in the spirit and in truth. That's what we are doing this morning. We're going to worship in the spirit and in truth, elevated into his presence, not confined to a single place. Uh, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will, in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. That's Ephesians language, right? Uh, one 
baptism, one faith, one Lord, one people. Uh, we are united mystically uh, through the Holy Spirit. All right. And that last paragraph speaks about uh, the unity of the church, the oneness of the church. So we're going, going to jump on that one unless there is a question. Do you have any questions or comments? Seems like I'm asking questions in the ground plate. Anyhow, um, the church is one. We have considered before the oneness of the church, right? We have said that the church exists from the beginning of the world until the end of the world. That is uh, the unity of the church. It's one from beginning to end. It's not, um, by the way, it's not that, um, you know, the church is kind of like this parenthesis in the plan of God. Where Jesus came to Israel, he offered the kingdom, they denied it to him, and so now it's like, oh, I'm going to create the church as a plan B. Until the Jews finally want me to accept me, and then the kingdom will come. That's dispensationalism, by the way. And, and when, we, when we see like, things like what, what is happening right now, dispensationalists go, oh, Jesus is coming back soon, like the red heifer, and you know... Better spend red hypers for 40 years. Come on. Um, uh, or, yeah, the second temple and, and, and the special people of God. No. The church is one. The special people of God is the people who believe in Jesus Christ. The church is one throughout the ages. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we are united to, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, you know, Solomon, all of those Old Testament believers. So don't, don't think uh, there is anything for, um, um, you know, a, a special kingdom of Israel that doesn't include uh, Gentiles in there. That's even against the, the New Testament, isn't it? There is no more Jew or Gentile, Paul says. But, we are saying, but some people are saying, oh, but there is a special kingdom, and it's only Jews. What? That's backwards. Um, but anyhow... That unity from the beginning of the world to the end of it is a Historia Saludis one, is a history of salvation part of it. But there is a theological side to it as well. And it comes from Jesus' priestly prayer in John 17, uh, 21 to 23. So <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you, excuse me, let's just go there for a second. Um, like I have like 10 minutes. Sorry, I didn't plan uh, for this to go that far. I thought I will have more time uh, for this one. But 21 to 27. Uh, let me just go back to 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus, brothers and sisters, prayed for you. Uh, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I, uh, I in you, uh, that they also may, may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Um, so the glory, um, that glory word, Jesus is talking about glory in the book of John, in the gospel of John, from the beginning of the gospel. And he's saying, the hour is coming. My glory is going to be 
um, uh, you know, manifested and things like that. And he is praying before he's going to be crucified. Um, and when he speaks about that glory, he's speaking about his crucifixion. Think about that. He's not speaking about, you know, um, uh, success in ministry or, or whatever. He's speaking about his suffering. And as he has suffered and, and will obtain glory in the resurrection, uh, we are to suffer in this world because we too are promised the glory of the resurrection. Not the glory without suffering, not your best life now, but in the future. If you don't believe me, look at verse 2, 3, and 4. This is Jesus praying, Fire the, Father, the hour has come. There you go. Uh, the hour has come, the hora. Um, um, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. The hour for my crucifixion has come. Give glory to your son. Uh, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have uh, gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Uh, listen to Jesus' uh, reasoning. He's going to the cross. There he will glorify the Father. There he will receive glory. And then when he ascends, he will receive greater glory because of what he has suffered on earth. Um, isn't that a joy to know that when we suffer, when we go through tribulations and things like that, um, it, it has a good purpose. We may not see it right now, but in glory, in eternity, we will be uh, we will be uh, recompensed by the Father because we are being identified with Jesus as we suffer. And, and, and in any case, uh, in 21 to 23, Jesus says uh, that the church may be one. And when the church is one, then uh, they may believe, that is the world may believe the message of the gospel. Uh, so what kind of unity is Jesus talking about? Uh, is he talking um, physical unity? Because if that's the case, then uh, we shouldn't be Presbyterians. We should try to unite with the Rome and with the Romans and with the Methodists and whatever church we have here in the States to try to make like a mega super denomination. All of us one. And when we are one, finally then, we can uh, proclaim the gospel news. Is that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is not saying that. Do you know how I know? Because of 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. What is God? God is spirit. He cannot be physically one in, the spirit, in, in physical things, because he's a spirit. The unity that he has with the Son is one of spiritual unity. There are not three gods, there's one God that exists in three persons. That unity in the, in, the, in the Trinity is the same unity that Jesus desires for his church. How does that work? Through the preaching of the word, 
used by the Holy Spirit as he transforms our hearts. And guess what? Because we are Christians, because we have been transformed after his image and we are united to Christ, I'm united to each one of you and you are united to me. How does that work? Well, clearly we are not united. Like I don't have another head like Carl's head here, right? But spiritually we are. Carl's is you. <laughs> but spiritually we are united. So the unity that Jesus is talking about is spiritual unity. Now, that doesn't mean that we are not to manifest any kind of unity. After all, we belong to a denomination, right? The Presbyterian Church in America. Because this spiritual unity has to be manifested in some way, in, in some sense. And that's why we belong to a denomination. But it's always under the truth. Uh, we cannot unite ourselves with Rome because they don't believe the same things that we believe. We cannot unite ourselves with the Satanist church. That will be even worse, right? We cannot unite ourselves with the Methodist church. Right now they are denying the gospel. That's not unity under the truth. And we cannot unite ourselves uh, with um, our, brother, our brother's Baptist. We kind of have a different kind of unity. And we love each other and we, we cherish each other. But because they don't believe in the same things that we believe, not about salvation, but second tire uh, issues, then we cannot unite with them. But that doesn't mean that it will always be so. In heaven, all of us will be Presbyterians. And, <laughs> you know, and, um, yeah, so, but in the meantime, there are ways in which we can work towards that unity. Denominational unity is one of those, and there are other ways, uh, as long as we don't compromise what we believe in. Let me give you just an example. Uh, let's say that the um, churches of Montrose are um, organizing a march for life, right? Shall we go? Of course, because we agreed on that. Now, if they ask us, well, you need to sign this uh, statement of faith saying that you don't believe in infant baptism. I'll say, that, really? Do you really need that for the march? Then... Uh, like, I don't know. I don't even know if we will sign that. I don't think we will. But, you know, as long as we have something that unites us like that, then there are, there are ways in which we can show unity. Uh, we can, for example, uh, I can invite uh, Nepal pastors to preach. Right? So Pastor Carl can come. Pastor Elijah can come. Um, uh, other pastors from, from uh, Napark denominations can come. Can I invite uh, other pastors from, uh, from outside of Napark um, um, Reformed and Presbyterian churches to uh, the pulpit? Maybe, but not, necess not necessarily so. It has to be approved by the session, right? Yeah. Um, so... There, there is a breaking point right there, right? Because we need to know what the other person believes. At least with the Presbyterians and, and, and Reformed, we know we all believe the same. Uh, with other denominations, we just don't know and the session has to approve. So, you know, another way of showing unity. Um, and we see the emphasis on the oneness of the church everywhere in the New Testament. Initially, this ecclesia existed only in Jerusalem. Um, but before long, there were Gentiles, uh, believers also in Samaria 
Antioch, and in many other locations among both Jews and Gentiles. Their assemblies were also called ecclesia. They too were the people of uh, the people, the church, uh, the church of God uh, at that place. That is from Babylon. As the church grew, it was necessary because of the numbers to divide into small churches that gathered in the small in the smaller churches, uh, not cell groups, right? Uh, when 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 Paul goes to the church in Rome, to the church in Galatia, to the church in Corinth. It seems like he is speaking about uh, more than just one church. Think about Paul writing a letter to the church in Montrose. We will go like, well, which one? Because we have like 80. No, the church, all of them in Montrose. That's what he's doing in Rome. Uh, There are many small churches in Rome. Which one? All of them. Because all of them are church. But then when we, what church do you go to? Oh, I go to Turkey. Oh, I go to, you know, uh, we have those differences. Um, anyhow, 10, 10 a.m., sorry. Do you have any questions? Isn't it great when I ask you if you have any questions when we are going to close? Um, no, but go ahead. If you have any questions or comments, feel free. All right. Everyone wants to go sip coffee. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your church. Uh, We thank you that you have given uh, the church um, its existence. And uh, that is one throughout the ages. And it's one even uh, as we live in this present age. We thank you for that. Uh, We thank you for your providence and care of your church. Even as it's um, divided nowadays and with many struggles and toils and tribulations Uh, but this is your church lord and we pray that you may preserve her you may uh, bless her as we seek to carry uh, your mission to this world so help us to that effect lord we pray in jesus name thank you brothers and sisters